Welcome to a very special episode of Life in the Fasting Lane podcast. This show is about keto, fasting, health, low carb, and honestly being open to ways to health and ways to better eating across the board, finding what's right for you. So I have a very special guest today and we're very exotic. We're coming to you live, well not live, we're coming to you from Mallorca, Spain, which honestly, I didn't even know where that was, but it's a fancy island close to Ibiza on the coast of Spain. And I'm here talking to the handsome and very nicely accented Daryl Edwards. That's a very accurate description. <laughs> Did you, you like that? Yes, you can obviously tell that I gave her that yes. prior to us having a chat. So I wanted, to, wanted you to make me sound far better than I am. So oh, yes. Well, as you can tell, <laughs> Daryl has a lovely accent. And is that the only reason that I chose to interview him? No, he's smart, too. You can tell by the glasses. The glasses, yes. Right? Yes, That's what gives it, it takes it like to the intelligence notch and just lets people know. I need whatever, whatever I need to do to portray intelligence. That's what I do. Hence I, the glasses. I like it a lot. Yes. And the, and the fake accent, because I'm actually from New Jersey. <laughs> He so, is. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, I met Daryl at Low Carb Universe, which is a fantastic event, which I was lucky enough to be a speaker at. And this means I get access to all the speakers. And Daryl is also a speaker at Low Carb Universe. So the way we're going to start is Daryl is going to tell you a little bit about where you can find him and who the heck he is and why he's speaking at Low Carb Universe. Daryl. Yes. Where can people find out about you? And why are you speaking at Low Carb Universe? Because I'm not sure if you're a low carb person or not. Okay, so I am the founder of Primal Play. And Primal Play is, or the Primal Play Method. And that's a way of getting natural, instinctive, universal movement, physical activity, the joy of movement, and combining that with play to make it something that's engaging and exciting for humans to engage in because we certainly have a problem with a, a lack of physical activity, um, with people starting exercise programs and not wanting to continue, of people assuming that exercise has to be painful and punishing, and that's the only way you can progress with exercise. So I'm one of those people who doesn't really like exercise, but I do love movement. I do love dancing. I do love, there are things that I do love when it comes to movement. So I wanted to create a movement program that basically made people think, okay, there are, there are things that I can do, that I can enjoy, that I don't need to be in a gym. I don't need to spend lots of money on equipment. The best equipment I, I own is right here. The best gym environment is wherever I am. And so that's the sort of philosophy in my, in my approach for movement. In terms of why I'm here as a speaker, um, I'm addressing an audience of, of predominantly keto, low-carb individuals, and I wanted to give them some hints and tips as to how they could use movement to optimize their low-carb keto lifestyle. So if they're looking to you know, prevent or to manage type 2 diabetes or insulin resistance, or they're thinking about improving their cardiovascular health or prevention of chronic lifestyle disease, how can movement play a part in that? You know, can movement help with blood pressure? Can it help with insulin resistance? Can it help with preventing type 2 diabetes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Yes, yes, and yes. And if, if it can help, how does it help? And what can I do to make it help me? So that's, that's pretty much what my talk, my talks have been about whilst I've been here. 
So when I met Daryl, of course, I immediately stalked him um, right away. And I came across his TED talk, which is why working out isn't working out. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and the main focus of that talk? Yeah, so that's, again, discussing the, you know, the big idea. The big idea was if we have a physical inactivity epidemic, which we do, um, if existing solutions are failing, so on the one hand, we have more gyms, more workout programs, more workout magazines, uh, more smartphone apps with exercise programs than ever before. So we've got more exercise options available than ever before in human history. But we also have the most sedentary lifestyles ever in human history. So we have this kind of dichotomy. Um, so why aren't these systems and programs working? You know, wh why are they not being taken up on a, on a large scale? Why do people join gyms on January 1st, New Year's resolutions, and they either never attend or they're only there for a few weeks of the year and, and they're just paying that monthly subscription? And the only persons that benefit are the ones that own the gym. <laughs> um, you know, why is that? So I kind of discussed the reasons as to why humans find it really difficult to engage in exercise and why um, we're living in an environment which encourages us to be sedentary and why we feel really comfortable being in a chair and why this can sometimes feel like the best place to, to exist. And so because of that, um, what can we do to make it better? What can we do to make it easier for us to become more physically active? So I discussed some solutions, and part of that is changing the environment to make it easier for us to move, to make it about movement, not exercise. So if it's about exercise, then you're thinking, oh, I've got to get the right outfit, I've got to look a particular way, I've got to make sure I go to the right gym, I'm doing the right program. I'm, you know, it's much more about you know, um, keeping up your appearances. Whereas actually, I'm trying to say, no, the focus should be on your health, on longevity, on your mood, on your <clears throat> well-being, not just about aesthetics, not just about, you know, what your perform fitness performance is. So that pressure you can remove and you can just think about what you want to do and what you enjoy. Um, and I kind of try to package that up in 15 <laughs> minutes and say, here are my ideas about the solution. What we can do as individuals, what we can do as families, what we can do as a society to progress, to become happier with physical activity. So in your talk, you're from the UK, and I think yes. you shared a couple of um, really interesting t statistics around the current state of things. So can yes. you share that with our audience? Yes, yeah, so um, one third, if you look at the, the official stats around physical activity participation, about one third of US adults, it's pretty similar in the UK, are meeting the physical activity guidelines. So these come from the World Health Organization, the US Surgeon General, um, you know, pretty much any health guideline will stipulate, do a minimum of 150 minutes per week of moderate intensity exercise and do two days a week of resistance training, strength training. Um, and that aiming for that baseline will give a significant difference in your overall health, mental and physical health. And so when people are asked by questionnaire, how much do you do? About a third of adults meet the guidelines. 
But when people actually tell the truth, and by telling the truth, I mean wearing an accelerometer, that drops down to about only 5% of adults. So only one in 20 adults in the US meet the minimum recommendations of physical activity. And of course, adults can make, we can make our own decisions. Um, you don't always want to be told what to do. But more alarmingly for kids who probably should be doing far more physical activity, and they certainly should be as a recommendation than adults, um, kids aren't faring much better. Um, so there are very scary stats such as you're three times as likely to be admitted to hospital, um, to ER, falling out of bed as a kid than falling out of a tree in comparison to a generation ago. 75% of UK children um, spend less time outdoors than prison inmates. So it's, it's, it's a pretty serious situation where we, we're almost valuing the health of our prison inmates than our children. We kind of mandate, we know if we keep our prisoners locked up, they actually suffer more mentally. There's uh, increased rates of violence and bullying. And, um, and so we see this happening with our children. You know, there's increase in, in depression and, and mood disorders and, and physical inactivity problems, but we don't place the same importance on, oh, we need to make mandate more recess time. We need to make sure there are mandatory uh, times that our kids are being active and having fun amongst themselves. So yeah, so there's, there's, a, there's a whole raft of problems that I already became aware of when I started working with children and started seeing some of the research coming out and comparing the difference between my childhood where it was a very active one, not because I was a sports kid, not because I was a jock, but because I was walking to school. I was um, coming home and then playing outside for a few hours. I wasn't going home and watching TV all evening or playing video games all evening. I had a very active childhood and all of my friends had a similar one. And I didn't live in the country, you know, I lived in the city, you know, and it was safe to go to parks and to play, you know. So, so there was a culture of that's what kids do when they come home from school. Parents don't, our parents didn't want to see us. Like, what, what are you doing in the house? <laughs> Get outside, you come back when it's time for something to eat. You come back when the sun goes down. Um, don't get into trouble. <laughs> Look after each other. That was pretty much the instruction I had on a daily basis from my mother. Yeah. Get outside, play. And it was a pretty fun life. And it was, a, and it was, it was very fun. <clears throat> and, you know, there was no, um, we didn't have any hang-ups about, you know, I don't ever remember my friends coming to me and knocking the door saying, hey, you're coming out to play. And I'd be like, oh, you know what, guys, um, I had such a rough day of playing yesterday. You know, <laughs> my muscles are so, oh, my legs are so sore after running around all day. And do you know what I mean? I need a day of rest. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, need that? A I need a rest day or, do you know what I mean? It yeah. was like, of course, yeah. What you, yeah, of course I'm going to come out and play. What, what else am I going to do? Yeah. Um, and, 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 and fortunately for children now, physical activity has become about sports. It has become about, let me drive you to the next bit of coaching that you can do and so for some children of course they love that it's like oh I want to be a gymnast not for my kid be... when you're not good at organized sports yes. it is it sucks it sucks for sure the only thing she has liked is swimming and horseback riding and it was tough to find those right like we tried everything we tried basketball it was not good we tried yeah. volleyball 
Soccer? No. Yeah. Not, not, not good. Not good. And, and, you know, the thing is, if you're not that talented, so I wasn't very talented. I was a geek, hence the glasses. I've yes. worn it a long time, folks. So I became a computer programmer. That was my, that was my, my career for, for, for many years. And so I wasn't particularly physically gifted. But what's interesting was at home, I played all of those sports that I wouldn't have been able to play at school. Yeah. So pretty much there was nothing I would say no to when it was about at home with my friends, just messing around. And where it wasn't that serious. If you won, you won. You know, if you won the next day, you were going to lose anyway. You know, there was no, sure. you know, there were no trophies handed out. There were no medals. <laughs> it really was about the participation. Yeah. And you'd make sure that everyone involved had, had fun. Do you know what I mean? Like the emphasis yeah. was always on, are we having fun collectively? Yes. Okay, let's continue doing this. If we're not, somebody will say, let's play something else. That's boring. Sure. He doesn't know how to play. She doesn't know. You're too young. You're too old. <laughs> you know? Um, and so what I think is the most important part of play for children isn't necessarily the, the physical activity part of, you know, running around and burning calories. I think the most important part is when adults aren't around, kids make different decisions when it comes to play. So they will climb trees. They will resolve conflict themselves. They will explore the environment where they're probably not normally permitted to do so. Hey, should we go, should we go down that bank and, you know, what, do you reckon we can do this? You know, you have discussions, you have, you know, you build social rapport and emotional intelligence. So you have all of these other attributes of developing that peer group community that doesn't come from somebody coaching as an adult saying, do this, do that, do the other. And I'm going to make sure everything is safe and controlled and regimented. And, you know, you can only do that for two minutes. I'm going to take you up and put somebody else on or, you know. Yeah. So, so there's all of those benefits, those kind of soft benefits that come from active play that kids do, that element of risk. We played a game when I was a kid called, knock, we called it Knock Door Run. And so basically, somebody would go to somebody's front door, knock the door, and you'd run away. And, you know, someone would open the door and they'd see some kids running off. And most times the adults would be like, oh, yeah, whatever. But sometimes those adults would be like, you know what, I'm going to get my shoes on and I'm <laughs> throw them at you. Yeah, and I'm going yeah, to you know, chase you. And, and that, that adrenaline rush, you certainly didn't want to get caught because you'd get into a lot of trouble. Um, you certainly didn't want your parents to find out. Yeah. But, you know, that, that thrill-seeking aspect of play is something that was part of the, the fun experience as, as a kid. Yeah. And, and, you know, so, yeah. So, so I think it's something that um, many children now are missing out on that experience of being able to make their own decisions, of being able to explore their environment um, and to feel confident, you know, and to feel sort of trust from from adults uh, and to you know be communicating with kids of different age groups and maybe different demographics and do you know what I mean I so, yeah. have an almost 13 year old daughter and mm. I struggle a lot I think I really did not do a great job when she was small she would climb up on the playground mm. and I was always like be careful be careful don't fall don't you know and I think that I stunted her ability to play because 
I was so worried about her falling. Whereas my husband grew up in a completely different world where they just ran and played. And I did too. Yes. But and she's an only child. I was overprotective and I always wondered, you know, worried about it. And it, it really yeah. stifled it. And we live in such a world now where you're not allowed to just let your kid go out and play and meet up with friends. And it's a much safer place to have them stay inside and have a friend over and they're inside. And, you know, I let my child go for walks with the dog and a radio. And my parents think that is being a really irresponsible parent. Like (laughs) that I let her go in the neighborhood with a radio walking the dog. Whereas when I was a kid, I was definitely doing that by almost 13. Yes. And so... I don't think the world has changed that much as far as what I've looked at as incidences mm. of kidnapping or like really serious things. But I yes. think our knowledge of those situations has changed. Oh, yes. We hear about it on social media. We hear about it on the news. And so it's it's front of mind. And so when I've looked into it, the numbers have actually reduced yes. over the years. But our knowledge and our stories and the, the face of those stories have increased so much that the want to coddle up your child and protect them and like really struggle to figure out when you let them make X decision. It's mm. stunning their growth and I see it. Yes. But I yes, gotta be yes, honest yes. as a parent, I don't know what the hell to do. Like I, I it sounds great. Like it sounds, but she yes. could not imagine. Like she's mm. learned to ride a bike because my husband, my 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 second husband, mm. taught her to ride a bike and it was really tough for her and he made her do it and he mm. Um, I don't remember what it was. I'm pretty sure it might have been food motivated, actually, which is probably not a great lesson. But, you know, he had her do it and she yes. did it. Yes. Um, and it was tough. But, like, I can't imagine sending her out now the way you and I used to do that. Yeah. And, and I don't know any kids. Other thing, too. Mm. We've tried to look for kids in the neighborhood. We found, like, one that yeah. we only seen once. Like, where are all those kids that were in our neighborhood that we played with? I don't, I I don't understand it. They're, at the moment, they're, they're inside. Um, I guess so. Probably watching this podcast. No. Probably so. They're all about <laughs> it, never, right? Yeah. But, you know, they're inside, usually on smart devices. Uh, and parents do feel, you know, helicopter parenting is now the norm. And it has literally happened pretty much within one to two, two generations where this has occurred. Where my parents were like, get out of the house, do whatever you want, just don't get into any trouble. You know, and come back when we tell you to come back. Yeah. That's pretty much, that was pretty much it. Um, when I had children, I wanted to be that parent. But I, I, was, I would say I was almost... Um, the advantage I had in terms of making sure my children had some of that is during the summer vacations, uh, school vacations, my children would stay with my grandparents. My mom, so my, grandparents my daughter does that a lot too. would do what... Yeah. What happened to me as a kid. But see, mine don't right. do that anymore. But Even though they used to. They don't yeah. because they feel like the world has changed. Because the world has changed. That, right? That's how they feel. But you know, you know another interesting stat? Tell me. You're, you, you are more likely to be struck by lightning. And just think about all the people you know who've been struck by lightning. But you'd be more likely to be struck by lightning than to be abducted by a stranger. I, I believe that. Right. I, I've looked at so, these statistics and yeah. it's an unrealistic it's fear unrealistic that we focus fear. on all the time. Yes. And it's crazy. So you guys will notice that this fella is different from most of our guests. Most of our guests come on and we're talking about keto. We're talking about low carb. We're talking about fasting, which is the focus of this podcast. And so I want to ask Daryl a question. Um, First of all, I think movement and exercise are important. But one thing I have discovered over the years is that exercise is not particularly, this is my opinion and what I've read, 
particularly effective for weight loss. Yes. I think exercise is great for mental health and breathing and building your body and, and mm. balance and not falling and breaking a hip later. Like, I mm. think it's great mm. for all of these things, um, which improve the quality of your life. But I think so many people spend so much time exercising and then get disappointed and then yeah. lose a ton of weight from exercise. So two questions. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? Okay. And number two, I find a lot of people who start to use intermittent fasting feel concerned about exercise when fasting. Mm. And it sounds like from your point of view with movement, it's yeah. always a good time for movement. Yes. So my feelings are whatever works yes. best for you, whether you're fasted in a fasted state or a non-fasted state, if working out or playing works for you, you should yes. do it. Yeah, so I suppose to address the first point around um, you know, exercise is not effective for weight loss. Okay. Um, which, which, that was probably one of the first questions that I wanted to investigate in a lot of de depth and detail because I would often hear this and I was always kind of like, yeah, it kind of makes sense. And there are many people who, who go to gym and do lots of exercise who don't, you don't see any difference at all in their body composition. So you kind of go, that kind of makes sense. And I think a lot of people have that experience. But, you know, movement, physical activity, exercise, it has a dose response. So actually, it's not a binary that exercise cannot help you to reduce weight, cannot improve your body composition, because if it didn't ever work, you wouldn't have a significant part of the sporting population, elite athletes, who seem very able to manage their body composition pretty much through exercise alone, eating diets that we certainly wouldn't subscribe to and don't have any issues at all with body composition. But isn't that so just many, because they're doing a ton but, but yes, of yes, it? Yes, 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 like, exactly. So, that, so that's what I'm saying. It, it's, right. it's, it's not a case of exercise can't, which is what we tend to hear. Yeah. Right. People say, oh, exercise can't do anything, nothing to do with, with weight loss. Right. Actually, there's a sliding scale. Yeah. So what we tend to do and where we tend to expect results from exercise in terms of managing weight isn't enough. <laughs> and so we would have to do a lot more. And m many of us just don't have the time or the inclination to want to do that. Yeah, so it seems the, not worth it. It's not worth it. So the best thing to do, of course, is the combination of, of diet and exercise. So if you look at the literature, the literature tells us that the best way to manage and maintain your successful weight loss trajectory, regardless of your diet, tends to be in, con in conjunction with exercise. So if you're building more lean muscle mass, you, have, you do have an increase in your metabolism, your metabolic base and metabolic rate. Um, and so that is part of what better helps you able to, you know, burning, I mean, again, I'm gonna mention calories, but you do burn more calories at rest when you have sure. more, more lean, more more lean muscle. muscle mass. And so one of the best ways to build lean muscle mass is not through dieting actually, but it's through physical activity. So yes, lose body fat. Use fasting, use a ketogenic or low-carb or paleo diet to, to help with that, to assist with that. And that's the best way for the majority of people to do. But if you want to improve the ability to maintain the results you've gained, and you don't want to be having that yo-yo where you go, I've got to be even more strict now because it's a plateaued, then physical activity is certainly a really good buffer. But let's, let's put, you know, so another, another observation would be, dancing with the stars, dancing on ice. All of those participants, you know, they seem to drop weight like it's, 
you know, every week. Oh, I lost five pounds, lost 10 pounds. We, They're we, dancing all the sit. damn time. Exactly. Like it's their full-time gig yes. at that time. So they don't change their diet. Right. <laughs> They're probably eating more, yeah. but because they're doing six to eight hours a day of dancing, so again, that's what I would, that would be my counter argument yeah. so that exercise doesn't work. In terms of the health benefits, which I think was the other second question. Yeah, about the, fasting, like about, about exercise oh, with fasting. Timing. So I, my, I yes. had a trainer who I'd worked with for years, I had a lot of respect for, and then when I started doing intermittent fasting, she was like, I'm not gonna train you if you work out when you're fasted. And I, since then, yes. um, have worked with other trainers who believe differently. I've read a lot about it. I've researched a lot about it. And I can tell you for a fact, me personally, yes. when I work out in a fasted state, I perform much better. Yes. Um, and I'm not doing complicated things. I'm lifting weights. I'm doing yeah. squats. I'm whatever. I always feel much better yes. in a fasted state. I'm, I don't even ever want to work out again in, in mm. a fasted state. It feels sluggish. It feels more difficult yes so i would i i mean again i try to always use the evidence base in in research so research does support exercise in a fasted state where you're already going to be glycogen depleted you know you're going to be you know more likely to be using fat as fuel uh you're more likely to have a a, a better metabolic effect so i would say somebody who is looking to improve their body composition who is looking to reduce body fat percentage Definitely, the t in terms of timing, in a fasted state, early in the morning, important, importantly, you know, where you do have a fairly high cortisol level in the early morning, where you're very alert, you're very focused. That's a time to do that type of activity where okay, I'm going to really push myself. That's a great time to, to exercise. In terms of being feasted and exercise, you want two or three hours at a minimum in between your last meal and when you exercise. The reason being is in that two, one, to two, one to three hours after eating, the priority is digestion. The priority is for your body to get as many nutrients as possible, not to be thinking about getting your muscles primed for performance uh, and your you know, heart and lungs primed for performance. So I would say if I had to have a preference for exercising, whether it's fasted or feast, feasted, I would definitely do fasted. And if, if I'm gonna be doing it um, after eating, I would wait at least two or three hours before exercising so you and i met at dinner the first night at this event and we got into the, like this super intense conversation yes um which was very interesting uh and i feel like you're an interesting mix of how you look at the world i feel like you think that there is a very big problem with the lack of physical activity mm -hmm. in the general population and you wish to change it yes um i feel like there's a very big problem with also physical activity, but my focus is on fasting and low carb lifestyle and I wish to change it. And so the way I'm trying to go about that is to have a podcast, to write on a blog, to write a book, to tell a story, to interview smart people that I can learn their opinions from and to help people find their way. And I think you've been doing the same thing, but you've been on this journey for a while now, I think since 2013 or earlier. It, 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 yeah, well, my personal journey, 2003. Okay. My business journey, 2011. First book was? Uh, 2013. 2013, so, yes. and you yes, started before yes. that in 2011. You've had a few books. Tell them the names of your books. Uh, so my first published book was Paleo Fitness. Um, I then wrote a book in 20, I think, 16, Paleo from A to Z, which is more of a lifestyle book. Um, and my latest book, um, my last book, was called Animal Moves, which talks about how we should be moving more like the animals we are and... and uh, by training like animals, we'll become more human. 
So that's the kind of philosophy behind that. That came out in 2018. That was 2018, And yes. people can find these on Amazon by Daryl Edwards. You can find them in any good or bad bookstore, <laughs> basically. So we're, I love yeah, that. We're, yes. All right, so you go on this journey and you, and you tell me the story that like sounds pretty overwhelmingly bad about where the world is with physical fitness. <laughs> yeah. You're helping people individually, but now you have a greater cause to, to change policies, to affect this, because you don't think it's going to be resolved just off of the individual. And, and I guess my question to you is, how yeah. can you think this problem is so big and at the yeah. same time actually believe that you can change it? So, um, so yeah, one of the problems I feel with anyone delivering this message of, hey, you know what? By doing these fairly simple steps, you can radically change your life and you're going to now have a lifetime of glorious health and well-being. The downside is it is really simple for a certain type of individual who doesn't need much motivation apart from the, in, the source of information that comes in. They review it and they go, oh, wow, I think that's going to work for me. That hasn't worked. This looks like it's going to work. I'm going to do it. Oh, wow, I've had this experience. It's working for me. I'm going to keep doing this. I feel that sort of individual is the small, the barest of minimums of individuals who embark upon lifestyle change in a, in a big way. The majority of people really struggle long-term. They can maintain very short um, attachments to particular lifestyle change, and they tend to have, instead of flatlining, they tend to kind of like peak and troughs, doing really well, not so well, doing really well, oh, I've just seen some other information, I'm gonna go this way, get distracted, you know, I feel awful for not doing this. That tends to be human nature. And so as I thought about the challenges of physical inactivity and why we're more sedentary, I then realized that humans prize convenience over and above pretty much any, anything else, actually, from a physical activity point of view. Um, so yeah. you can't... Go ahead. We'll edit it. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so because we prize convenience... Um, if you leave it just to the individual to make the decisions around get, become more active, get more activity into your life, um, but you surround that individual with chairs and a car to commute to work and in an office environment where you're sitting all day and then you commute back to work sitting and then you're at home and you're thinking, I'm tired and you sit, then that's what you will choose to do. That's what your environment is priming you to do. So as well as trying to convince that individual that this change is good for your health, which we kind of know, hey, physical activity is good for your health. Yes, yes, yes. All this information, blogs, podcasts, it's everywhere. Everyone is shouting this message. Why aren't people taking this up? And it's because it's not being backed up by, let's also change the environment to make it a bit easier to facilitate this change. And in our discussion the other night, I mentioned smoking, smoking cessation. And so there were years and years of the first stage was let's get the education out there. Now that we know smoking is harmful for our health, let's have education. Let's tell people in school, let's tell, have television advertisements and programs. And then people start becoming knowledgeable. Oh, there aren't many people who aren't smoking. Smoking's on the increase that we don't understand. Oh, I know what we need to do. Let's put warning warnings on cigarette packets. You know, smoking kills, smoking causes lung cancer. That's going to do the trick. Oh, hasn't really made much of a difference. 
you know. So, you know, oh, I know what we'll do next. Huge taxation. It's going to be so expensive to buy cigarettes. <laughs> Who's going to buy them? People seem to be getting the money from somewhere because they're buying, you know. And it was only when public policy changed around what we're going to do to stop this. I, it isn't just about information and education. It becomes about enforcement. So let's make it impossible to smoke at work. It's now against the law. Let's make it impossible to, you know, be smoking in, ho in a hospital bed and at schools and in public places and in parks <clears throat> and, you know. And so now, you know, smoking rates have dropped significantly since those type of changes have come in. And so I feel for, from a food landscape, as well as a physical activity landscape, we need something in that direction. And I, and I don't mean kind of big brother or a, where people that we're concerned about controlling our environment who aren't going to be thinking about us as humans and make the right decisions, right? You know what I mean? I'm talking about where society makes a decision in a way that no one disputes. So in terms of smoking, there's very few people who would argue that it was wrong to ban smoking in public spaces. Even smokers are kind of like, yeah, I would prefer it if I could smoke in the local park, but I kind of understand that the majority of people want to be healthy and that why should young kids be impacted by this? And I think we kind of need to do something similar for movement and for food. The movement one, I think, is a little bit easier than the food because, of course, there's so many opinions. You've got big food, you've got big pharma, you've got people who are getting backhanders, lobbyists, you know. Um, with movement, I think it's easier because you can have town planners and urban planners and you can create cycle pathways for people who do want to actively commute. And you could probably say, let's have a no car to work day and, and make that, you know, as enforceable in the law. And so those things are starting are starting to happen. I went um, to some country yeah. that actually had that one day. I don't remember if it was Iceland, but it was like one day a week there was no cars and yeah. I've never heard of such a thing. Yeah. Daryl, thank you so much. Will you tell people one more time where they can find you on social media, what your website is, so they can check you out? Yes, so I'm Daryl Edwards. I'm known as the Fitness Explorer. Uh, so at Fitness Explorer on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, my blog is primalplay.com so you can find out some examples actually is what's this play out stuff what, what what are you talking about you can see some videos you can see lots of content there um, lots of the research that i mentioned so if you're interested in the evidence base you can find find that out and um, please can't connect with me on social media and let me know how you felt about this discussion and uh, thank you very much for your time eve it's been fantastic thank you daryl well daryl has you. brought all his smarts and his accent thanks so much for joining us on life and the fasting lane Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Fasting Lane. And until next time, to your health and hotness.